Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. Sam Quinn has had the North of 96th reporter beat for the Indianapolis Business Journal for about a year now. I invited her to appear on my podcast and talk about what she has learned about the northern suburbs of Indy in general and about Fishers in particular. I spoke with Sam Quinn during the afternoon of Wednesday, April 10th. I'm at the Ignite Space here at the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. Uh, if you've never been here, I would highly recommend you come look at it. We're in the what's called the AV Studio, which is where video and audio production is done. And I really love the acoustics in this room. So the library has been very kind to allow me to book this room for a number of podcasts I've been doing lately, especially with political candidates and others. Uh, but there's a lot of, of other activities going on here. There are 3D printers. They have these big artistic areas. One's a clean area. One's a messy area. And I'm not an artist. You know where I'd end up? If I were actually an artist, I'd end up in the messy area most of the time, I'm sure. But you've got to see this if you ever are in or near the library here, right in the municipal complex, right next door to the new police station. Come on in, and anytime the library is open, one of the librarians here would be more than happy to give you a tour of the Ignite space, lower level of the library. Today, my guest is Sam Quinn. Sam has, for about a year now, I think, uh, been doing the North of 96th Beat for the Indianapolis Business Journal. Just so you know, Sam is spelled S-A-M-M. <laughs> I learned that early on. Quinn is two, letter, two ends at the end as well. But Sam has been writing now for the IBJ for a while. You've worked for the State House file, and so you've done some work at the State House as well. And your predecessor in this particular beat was Lindsay Erdotti, mm -hmm. who, of course, is now covering the State House for the Indianapolis Business Journal. One reporter covering the State House, I mean, I, I think that would be tough. But anyway, tough enough to cover all these communities up here in the northern suburbs. <laughs> Sam, it's great to have you with us. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. And I know that uh, you helped out uh, when I talked to the fellows at Hub spoke here recently and i know you've been talking to them that's uh, you know that is really an interesting concept of just bringing in high school students renting space trying to train people for the building trades of the future where they're dying for people to work in that business yeah uh, i think today when i met with them um david told me that something about you know a majority of the people who are in that trade skill in those skilled trades today are 45, 55, approaching retirement, and there's going to be a huge need, maybe 200,000 skilled trade workers annually um, to fill those jobs. So it's going to be really important. I mean, if you're willing to get your hands dirty a little bit, you can make some money. That's a that's an area where you can you can make a good with a plumber or a framer or a builder. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think this is such a great idea. I'm looking forward to it. You know, you and I talked to them. They said they were going to have it done in a matter of months. I questioned that, and they said <laughs> we can do it, Larry. So yeah, yeah. it sounds like uh, today they're hoping to get construction started in July and be mm -hmm. done by the end of the first quarter of next year. Oh, so that's a, that is good. Yeah, that it's going to be a fast turnaround, I think. Well, good. We'll uh, look forward to hearing more about that. I've, uh, David Decker, who you mentioned, is David also chairs the uh, Arts Commission mm -hmm. here in Fishers. He was appointed to, to that body. Well, let's just talk in general. You've been on this beat about a year. Am I right on that? Yep. So you probably knew little or nothing about the northern suburbs when you started. So after a year of immersing yourself in the northern suburbs of Indy, or if you wish, southern Hamilton County, with a couple of exceptions in there, 
What are your general observations about, uh, especially from the business and political side, those are the beats you generally talk about. Talk about what you find in these communities, how they're the same, how they're different. Just some overall uh, observations on your part. Yeah, so I think um, a trend here is that everything is just growing so quickly. Um, There's never a time when I don't have a story to work on, it seems like. There's just a lot going on, and that's consistent in Noblesville, Westfield, Fishers, Carmel, um, even in Whitestown and Zionsville um, up in Boone County. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot going on. Um, And then as far as the political side of things, I would just say people here seem so passionate the, com- the community members, um, really, I think, more than I've seen in other communities. Passionate about? Just a lot of issues. Obviously, uh-huh. here in Fishers, it's the train. Sure. Um, in Carmel, I think it's a lot a lot of passion around the schools, but then also, um, you know, just sort of what they're creating there. Um, so I just think people are really more involved than what I've seen in other communities. Yeah, when it comes to schools, they look to Fishers or Hamilton Southeastern to get their new superintendent. Yeah. And uh, they got a good one in Mike Beresford. I've known Mike for years, and I thought, oh, you've, you've found the right guy for the job. And from what I hear, everybody is very happy. It's so funny because I went to Carmel, since that's kind of a local story for me. I went to Carmel when they made the announcement. I kind of got mm-hmm. a heads up about it. And I went over there, and uh, after the introductions were done, I walked up to Mike and, you know, gave him a handshake and congratulated him. Later on, he told me, because, you know, Larry, I'm glad you were there because you're about the only person I knew in the whole room. Oh. <laughs> was, he still was getting, yeah. getting to know people. I'm sure that's changed big time now. But, uh, yeah, they, I know they've had their issues in that school system, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't think of a better person to come in there and, and try to – steady the ship than, than Mike Beresford. So, yeah, they did look, look to us. And and he was just – and the timing was just right. They were looking for someone when Mike had kind of come to the part of his career where he was looking for that first superintendent's mm-hmm. job. But, Next uh, step. So, yeah, so Carmel, yeah, the, the education is big there. Uh, development is big in both communities. Yeah. Uh, they've, they're having lots of discussions in the Carmel mayor's race about development. And how it's paid for. Yeah, and how mostly much, how it's paid for, I think. And how and well and how the how the debt's managed. Mm-hmm. Now if you compare Carmel's debt to Fisher's debt, it's not a close call. Fisher's no. does have debt, but boy, we're not in the same universe as Carmel. Yeah, I don't they? know Fisher's off the top of my head, but Carmel is um I mean Carmel's bigger than the other three communities combined, so that kind of gives you an idea. Last time I was at a finance committee meeting, I believe they gave me a figure of three hundred twenty-nine million. But I think others, if you include some other things, it might be more. It depends on how you do the numbers. But yeah, Fishers has taken on debt and and uh, taken on TIF debt and mm-hmm. all those sorts that Carmel has done as well. But let's talk about Fishers a little bit. Let's talk about the mayor's race. You've talked to both the candidates. I have. I, I haven't done an official interview with Scott Fadness yet on on the mayor's race, but I've know him pretty well because he's been mayor for the whole you know for five years now almost five years and i got had i've had a chance to speak with logan day his opponent and i'm just curious as you walk away from your interactions with those two what are the issues you think people they're concerned about and the people are concerned about um i think if you're looking from like a logan perspective people are still really interested in the train i think they're still looking him to him for leadership on that um but i also think in him, they're finding a candidate who, um, you know, is kind of sh- saying, let's slow down. Let's, you know, we don't have to keep going full speed ahead on development and growing the community. Let's have conversations about the things we want to preserve, um, about the community that people have come to know and love. Um, but then I think it, with Scott Fannis, I think the issues are going to be, um, you know, he told me personally his next goals for the next 
uh, next term would be regionalism. And so I think that's going to be a big issue we're going to see if he gets reelected is how we bring Indianapolis and these communities together um, instead of really living within our own silos. Um, I want to bring up regionalism in a moment. But the one thing that, that strikes strikes me, having interviewed Logan, and you've, you've listened to my interview, I had yeah. my podcast with him, and, and the one with Scott Fadden is scheduled later in the month. But what I found with him is he really is trying to struggle a bit with coming out of that image of being the train guy. He, he says, I don't want to just be the train guy, uh, but he still embraces that that image of being the train guy. Right. We saw him earlier this week at a meeting, Save the Train held, um, to sort of look at some options for a rail with trail. Um, Logan was there. Logan's car with his trailer for his campaign was there. He was wearing the T-shirt. Um, so I think... He's trying to separate himself, um, but I don't think he wants to separate himself completely, right? That's how he got to know this community mm-hmm. It's through that process. Um, you know, he openly admits that he just moved here recently in the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's not a longtime Fisher's resident, but what he does, you know, think is a strong point or a strength for his, of his is that he's been in this community the last two years fighting this train issue. So I think he has to tor- sort of find a way to separate himself enough that candidates or I'm sorry, residents who maybe don't care so much about the train, can find something to support in him. But he also, you know, needs to sort of maintain that identity. The um, GOP, the Fishers GOP Club, had a, I think, their only joint appearance. Uh, I I wasn't invited to come. I wasn't sure if a journalist (laughs) would be welcome. So I wanted to make sure. And they said, yes, you're welcome to come. And what struck me the most was, uh, and you've heard this too, is that Logan sort of said, you know, maybe we need to just slow down. We've gone too fast. A lot of people here think that our community is is moving so fast we can't keep up with it. The roads, the infrastructure is not keeping up with it. Uh, and and I find Scott to to be a totally different. At, his his view has always been ever since I've known him as mayor, and even to some extent when he was town manager. You know, he says communities like Fishers, cities like Fishers are in one of two conditions. You're either going forward or you're going backward, that there's really no middle ground. I think people want that middle ground. His view mm-hmm. is that there really isn't a middle ground. If you don't move forward, you're you're moving backward. Right. And that's, I think, where the two men diverge the most, don't you? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, Scott, when I talked to him, kind of just said, you know, Fishers, the world is changing and we need to change with it or we're going to get left behind. Um, And I mean, I think you can see that in communities probably throughout the state. Um, You know, not every community is growing the way Fishers is. Fishers is lucky that it has Ikea, Topgolf, even a Target, really. Mm -hmm. Um, So the growth it's seen for a community that at one point was very small is significant. um, And that's going to continue to happen, um, or Fishers is going to just become sort of like a nobody, you know? <laughs> well, I, I have, to, I have a, an interesting perspective on this. My wife and I, when we were married, we she had already built a house, actually, before okay. we before we started dating. And so we, when we ended up getting married. She didn't want to move into my small apartment in Irvington. <laughs> so uh, we moved. I moved into her house, and that's been my home since 19, May of 1991. And that's here in Fishers. Right here in Fishers, mm-hmm. in Sunblast, you know, the okay. first big development yeah. Fishers ever had. And it was a town of maybe 10,000, maybe less at that time in 91. If you look at the census figures, it was, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I've seen, I have a front row seat as a resident to see what's happened. And when I moved here, so I really, you know, I'll be real honest with you. I told my wife, why do you want to live in Fishers? <laughs> 
And she is the one who's the real estate guru in our family. She goes, oh, it's a growing place. It's going to continue growing. I think this is the place to be. And of course, as always, my wife is right. <laughs> and it has been a growing area. And I think when Scott Fadness uh, be, uh, gets settled in as town manager, people forget that the switch and, and uh, the depot were already in progress when the town, the, t- right. the town council approved that. I mean, he was the, t- he being Scott Fadness was the town manager. He was pushing it, but he got a majority. I think it was even unanimous at that time. Might have been one noble, but I know it was nearly unanimous, if not so much the seven town council members, that they wanted to develop that. The depot was first, and the switch came in pretty quickly after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was the town. That's, but he took that momentum and and continued on with it. When he hired Tom Dickey, who now works with Hageman over on the northwest side of Indianapolis, when he brought Tom Dickey in, the two of them went on steroids. And I asked Tom after he left, I said, did you ever imagine that we – Fishers would look like this. He goes, yes, but not nearly this fast. It really has happened. And I understand why residents are dizzy because it has been happening fast. And yeah, you're you're right. If you compare it with other communities, we are on steroids here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, um, just a couple of months ago, right after Browning Investments announced that $157 million project for downtown, um, that rehabilitates the archers property and you know the areas around there i wrote a story about how fishers it was called how fishers created a downtown overnight Mm -hmm. and that is really Mm -hmm. i mean what you said is true fishers you know scott and um, tom had started talking about wanting to create a place for people to gather wanting to create a downtown which was absent from fishers really and you know, just took off like gangbusters much more quickly than they ever anticipated. I think he said, um, he being Scott, said, you know, they were hoping to see that over 10 years and really were probably about five years into that process now. And mm-hmm. I mean, the landscape is completely different than what you would have seen. And I think the the goals are different now. And that time it was like, let's get here in 10 years. We got there in five. Okay. I think if you, if you talk to Scott Fadness, his plan is, is let's we keep moving forward again. His view is if you don't move forward, you're moving backwards. Mm-hmm. And that if you stop, you are moving backwards in a sense. So that's really the the political debate I think we're seeing in the primary election, which in Hamilton County is <laughs> often the election. the election, although we do have an interesting Democrat running. We'll, we'll talk a minute about that. But I, I do believe that that people need – and I've written about this and I've written about <laughs> this for these uh, seven and a half years I've been doing this news <laughs> blog – is that people should pay more attention to, to elections, particularly the primary election. Because I don't know if you've looked at the data, but going back a long way, the turnout is extremely low for these these primary excuse me these primary elections, and you wonder why because often this is the election. Right, and I think one thing that is so important is that we see so many people come out when I mean not so many people because even then voter turnout isn't great, but for a presidential election you see those numbers shoot up right because people really care what's happening on a national level, and I think sometimes they forget that really the people who are affecting your everyday life are these local issues, your city councilors, your mayor. I mean they're de- determining what your property tax rate is. They're determining what amenities you have in your community, who can build there, who can't, um, and so that's really important. I think sometimes people don't realize that. And the parks in this area, I mean, they've taken surveys in Fishers. What do you think of the parks? The number of people who think we have great parks is like 90-some percent. It's just amazing how people love the parks. They want to continue them, keep them up, and, and continue to move ahead as we add population. But the city makes the decisions on that. Right. 
you know, and if there's a good park or not enough parks, you talk to your city officials. You don't talk to the president. And I think part of that that uh, big uptick in, in uh, national elections, and I'd like your view on this. I think it's and – and IBJ is the opposite. You folks have actually increased your political coverage, especially with some of the ownership shifts. You've got some younger mm-hmm. ownership coming in and they've actually – those people have actually uh, accentuated some of the political coverage and government coverage. But I think there's so much intensive media attention to national politics, presidential particularly, but just that whole area, that whole mm-hmm. level of politics, that maybe the media as a general term mm-hmm. locally just isn't there like it used to be. No. Do you think that could be part of the reason people are not really paying as much attention? Yeah, I think you consistently hear about newspapers closing, laying off reporters. Um, I mean, the Indianapolis Star is a great example of that. It's a shell of what it used to be, um, you know, 10 years ago, even longer. Um, so, you know, when you're really you know, downsizing what you have in terms of people who can go out and cover meetings, who can go out and cover what's going on in their communities, then suddenly people don't have somebody to turn to. And most people don't have time to go to a city council meeting. And, you know, they have lives and they're at seven o'clock at night, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, you know, it's not a priority for them. So you really need someone like you or me there uh, telling them kind of what's going on and what they're missing and what they should care about. And, you know, if you don't, if we don't have that, because we're Instead, supporting a national media, you know, that could create really big, drastic changes. And you know, the uh, governments, uh, local governments, are trying to go on online with live stream video. But let me tell you something: the uh, school board has just recently here locally decided to do that. Okay. But the Indiana School Boards Association recommended they not do that. Oh, really? You know why? Mm-mm. Because there's now very sophisticated technology that can use your video. Let's say you're on a video stream and you say, I am opposed to this tax increase. These very sophisticated gurus can take that statement and make it sound like I am in favor of the tax increase. Okay, yeah. So they're very worried about people doctoring videos to make it sound like you're saying something opposite of what you're really saying. That's a big danger as you move forward, you know. Uh, yeah. But but yet the, our school board, they, they want transparency, and, and it, it was a close vote, but they did decide to go ahead. And, and I think it may be tonight's meeting, uh, which is May 10th, mm-hmm. or not May 10th, April 10th, they're going to start the, uh, the video stream. But another part of this, I looked at some of the data you, on YouTube for the – for the cities, and there are not a lot of people watching that. No, city I don't. council, the city council meeting. Yeah. I don't know what the school board will be like. Maybe they'll have more, but I haven't seen a whole lot of of people watching right. these video live streams. So I'm wondering, in the long term, whether it's going to be worth the risk. But you're right; it's very hard to follow local government. We try to be there, you and I, as much as because you got lots of communities to cover, <laughs> yeah. and you've got, you've got a, a business slant too, right? But, exactly. But I have to say, you should feel pretty proud at the IBJ because. The star has kind of given up on uh, business coverage as a regular thing. They have some good reporters doing it, but they don't. They no longer have a business page, so to speak. Right. So they've kind of ceded that to you. There are a lot of good reporters working at the star as the IBJ, but they're working in the people at the star are working in a much tougher environment than before. There, yeah. There's a lot more for them to do than than before. I think that's true. I think that's true. Probably though, at um, you know newspapers across the state across the country um in small newspapers or in small newsrooms and in large ones you know people are doing more with less and so you see that in laps in coverage areas that don't that maybe a community or a newspaper used to cover that they don't so 
Yeah, I have a friend. Uh, I I do what a uh, I teach at IU tax school. I have to travel the state in the oh, late cool. late fall, early uh, winter. It's what late October through about mid December. So I travel a lot. But there's a whole group of people that come in from all over the country to to edit the book we all teach out of the University of Illinois. And I got to know this fellow who does a lot of officiating football and basketball mm-hmm. in rural areas of central and southern Illinois. And he was telling me how shocked he is at how few newspapers are left. Yeah. So many have closed down. The ones that are remaining are trying their best to cover all these uncovered areas, but it's very difficult. Well, let me get on to some local things. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, I guess we get two journalists together. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we could probably we, talk about that all day. We could, we could moan and complain about the state of journalism. and wouldn't change anything, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Stony Creek is an interesting story. It got a lot of attention on social media. Uh, Stony Creek, the uh, the owner, I think, is in his 80s. He put it up uh, for sale. And mm-hmm. I think very quickly, Corby Thompson, local guy with Boomerang Development, bought it. You talked to Corby Thompson, wrote a story. What is his intention as far as what you can tell from your conversations with him? What do you think he'll be doing with Stony Creek? You know, I think, you know, from our conversation, and obviously it's very early, so, um, you know, we might not see anything really happen in the first couple of months, but Corby really does want to preserve that land. At least that's what he told me. Um, he has memories of going to dances there as a kid. Um, and so, you know, he wants to see that be maintained as a farm. I don't think we're going to see the same sort of, um, you know, the activities and the festivals that 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 Stony Creek has become known for. Um, Corby already said the Pumpkin Festival uh, is going to be too, requires too many employees for him oh, to really? be able to. Okay. Yeah, I think he said something like 40 employees is what it takes to make that run. Maybe more. I have no idea. I've mm-hmm. never operated a festival myself. But uh, he said he just doesn't have those resources right now. Um, and maybe he never will. We don't know to get that going. So, you know, we at least know that's not going to happen next year. Um, and so, But I think that Stony Creek had kind of made it well known that the pumpkin festival last year might be the last. I see. Um, so I don't think it's super surprising, but if people maybe miss that news, um, I don't think it was really well um, publicized. You know, that might be surprising to them when they pack up the kids for a <laughs> fall afternoon. And, you know, I, I took my daughters and they were young out for that. They just loved it. But, you know, nothing lasts forever. And uh, I know that Corby has said in, in your interview and other venues that uh, – he really wants to keep that as much a farm as he can, but he admitted that market pressures may be such that he may have no choice but to develop it in the long run. Right, and I guess we just won't know for you know a couple of months, even maybe a couple of years, what's going to really happen with that. I do know he said he's been in touch with um, some community organizations, the city of Noblesville, to see what kind of economic you know development or resources might be available to help him. Um, he said you know he went out to the farm and. All of the buildings need new paint. I see. Um, you yeah. know, we're getting into spring. They're going to need to be, you know, maintenance is going to be done. There's going to be, you know, lawns that need mowed and sure. all kinds of stuff that needs to be taken care of as we hit summer and then into fall. And so I think that this will probably be a good test for him to see, can he handle all of this? Does he have the resources or is it something that, you know, we'll have to... Well, we'll have to see whether some see. of the, the county or some of the cities nearby want to, you know, if they want to partner with him to, to maybe get some things going. Time will tell, I yeah. suppose. Uh, we talked about the Fishers mayor's race. The Noblesville race is interesting. There's, there are several candidates. Mike Corbett, who's run before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Jensen, who uh, is a member of the city council, seems to have the establishment behind him. Yep. 
and I'm forgetting the others. I remember the school board. What is her name? Yeah, Julia Kozicki. Kozicki. I think is how you say it. Thanks for that because I wasn't trying to pronounce it either. Thank you. And then there's a fourth candidate too, um, Vince Baker. I think that's right, is his Vince name. Baker, and I think he's a public safety employee or something. Uh, or he maybe works a city for employee. yeah, he works for Noblesville's Urban Forest or okay. as or the Urban Forester. Not or public like safety, that. but yeah. yeah, okay. He worked as he knew he was working for the city, yeah. but he couldn't. Remember. Thanks for correcting me on that. So I think whenever you have a number of candidates, it's really hard to predict the outcome. Yeah, I don't really know uh, what's going to happen there. Obviously, like you said, I do think that the establishment is behind Chris Jensen. We saw last week that Governor Holcomb has endorsed him. Um, He's got some other endorsements as well. Um, But Julia is a school board member, and I think Mm -hmm. that people can kind of relate to that more maybe. You know, you maybe see her out at sports games. She's the person who is sort of, you know, the voice of the school. And I think that's where you see a lot of young families more involved than at the, the city level. But only time will tell. Uh, that race is going to be particularly interesting because it's not it's not a matter of if someone gets you know, elected and replaces John Ditzler. That is happening. He's retiring. The city is going to have a new mayor. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think the big difference is I think Chris Jensen could continue to develop the city and you know, move it, transform it, see it through to an, you know, another chapter. Um, and your other candidates have sort of taken issue with some of the economic development. Uh, you know, they want downtown preserved the way it is today. Um, so I guess it'll just be interesting to see what happens there. You're right. Those are the issues there. A little bit like Fishers in a way. Not exactly. Yeah. But, you know, but Noblesville is an older town. You know, it's yeah, a county I mean, seat. Right, exactly. There you do have that historic downtown. You have those buildings, um, you know, some of them dating back to the early 1900s, maybe even before then. Uh, so... Well, let's talk about Carmel. <laughs> Carmel is, uh, wow, it's a sideshow. Uh, it's been a lot of publicity about what's about, I don't know how to describe this in the proper way, allegations of bribery, and they are just allegations. I mean, from everybody I've talked to, even from what people have said publicly, nobody can find any criminality in it. It may not look good. You know, it may not be something that uh, shines a nice light on us on the or this, mm-hmm. this, what happened in this meeting in question. The oddest part of that story is that the man who was supposedly representing um, was representing uh, Fred Glenn. Uh, Fred Glenn, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm getting older. Aren't I? <laughs> uh, Fred Glenn is now working for Jim Brainerd. So uh, this all gets very complicated. Do you take anything away? Do you really think that this is going to have an impact? Or what, what – I mean from people you talk to in Carmel, what are they telling you about what the, the buzz is with people who are in Carmel? You know, I think one thing that is interesting in that is that the election board has set a meeting to sort of talk to the parties involved in this and see if anything can be made of it. Um, you know, I think it's pretty clear that there was no campaign violation in this. No money was – There know, was no money transacted. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they've scheduled it for after the primary. So we're not even going to see that play out before May 7th. It's going to happen a week later. Um, I don't know. You know, I talked to uh, Jim Brainerd's campaign manager, and she told me they're not putting a lot of stock in this, right? They don't – they've denied the allegations. They say they didn't happen. Um, you know, they even have argued that it shouldn't be called bribery in the, sto- in the news stories because – 
they have some definition for bribery they're using. Well, it's an allegation. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm not sure that from what I have heard, you could prove them. Bribery cases are hard to prove anyway, if there's, even if there are facts that would indicate right. that. But uh, the big issue is, uh, does this look bad politically? And a lot of Republicans that I've talked to, what upsets them to be honest, is to give the Democrats an opening. Right. And Joe Weingarten, the Democratic chairman, is the one who asked for this. Yep. So now that you've got the election board, of course, two Republicans, one Democrat, kind of in a corner. <laughs> yeah. They almost like, I have to, they, they have, have to, to do, do something. something. Right. You know, at least talk to the people involved. And, you know, that there are two things. Well, number one, you don't want to seem like you're impacting the election. And on the other hand, you know, you, do you make a decision before or after the election? Well, if you give any political body a chance to take action after the election, they'll normally do it. Right. Because it's, you know, it's less controversial right. at that time. I think another important piece of that information or of that whole story that's getting lost is that n- neither of the candidates weren't at this meeting. That's right. correct. Fred Glenn was there, wasn't yeah. there. He was represented mm-hmm. by um, this Dan Hennessy, who now is a consultant of some time of some kind to Jim Brainerd. Um, Jim Brainerd also wasn't there. So we have two candidates mm-hmm. who are sort of, you know, their campaigns are calling foul at least, and we mm-hmm. don't know uh, what really happened. And quite frankly, neither do they because neither of them were there. So it, it's just a very interesting development. <laughs> I mean, it, it does give us all something to, to write yep. about and talk about. It's but, definitely uh, some fodder. So. It's definitely <laughs> fodder for sure. But at this point, Brainerd is the heavy favorite. But, you know, Glenn, you never know. You just never know. I mean, you just don't until you actually count the ballots. And this is one thing about a primary election. And I've talked to some of the candidates when I get a chance. And I say, you know, the real issue in a primary election like this is turn it. Do you turn your voters out? Right. Because you're looking at a fairly small universe of people who mm-hmm. normally vote in these elections. Yep. Can, you're get, can you get your people to the polls? To me, that's a... That's a big part of whether you get elected or not. That's true. Uh, And I think you said Jim Brainerd's the favorite. And, um, you know, I definitely see that, too. Uh, But I think there are people who take issue with uh, the amount of debt Carmel has, with some of the development, you know, unnecessary spending or what they would call unnecessary spending. So it'll be interesting. But but he's the favorite to win. I don't know how by how much. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I think that everybody who in the Republican Party feels that way. Now, Fred Glenn obviously felt that he had an opening, and for the right. reasons you mentioned, and that's why he has decided to run. So, you know, you. I mean, even though that may be the truth, that doesn't mean you know favorites don't always win. Nope. I was around here when Bart Peterson lost to Greg Ballard. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> And there are elections like that. So, you and, know, you know, I've thought for sure that candidate doesn't have a chance. They're not going to win. And then they turn around and win. So, so you know, so, in, I mean, you can say somebody's the favorite. That's what the people within the political right. parties are saying. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. So I, we're not, you and I are not making predictions. We're just kind of reflecting what we hear yeah. from people who watch elections and exactly. uh, and try to analyze it. And I think you usually see a party stick behind an incumbent. You don't usually see the party, um, you know, I think it's sort of in some in some parties bad taste to run against the incumbent like you kind of give them that that time um, mm-hmm. as the party so I think that that's what you're also well, there was a time here. that happened in Noblesville that's how John Ditzler became mayor because Dennis Reddick was on the ballot the primary had happened and he came, he went out I won't get into that whole story it was a long <laughs> time ago but he came in disfavor with the party elite and they ran John Ditzler as an independent 
but it was pretty clear he was really a Republican. Oh, wow. See, I don't even know that history. And he he won, and that's, of course, he ran as a Republican every time, but it was just a timing thing. They... Reddick was already on the ballot as mm-hmm. a Republican candidate, but he came into disfavor with a certain group of people. They ran Ditzler, and Ditzler won. That's so you know the things you can never happen. Know. Yeah, things can exactly. happen. We're almost out. Of, we actually are out of time, but I'm going to ask you a couple more questions okay. here. Just talk about a couple other issues. Um, I think the yard is really an interesting uh, thing, and, and, and it's funny you hear two different, two different versions of this. One is like, okay, the, the yard was originally mostly going to be culinary. There were going to be other shops in there, but then we get residential, then we get a hotel, then we get another development right next door, who, mm-hmm. which was you know again, the developer of the yard decides to buy out another developer and make it a whole bigger thing, and so it's really grown into something bigger than the original plan. Some people say. That's great. Other people say, this is not what you sold us. Right. This is bigger than what – I think you know, th- this is definitely bigger than what was sold originally. That mm-hmm. much I can tell you. But I, I don't know. I, I, the key here is can it you – know, it's going to be right next to Top Golf and Ikea, which are definitely regional generators. Yep. The question is, will the yard be a regional generator? I think that's the big question now. Yeah, and I think you're going to have some really unique restaurants, places that don't already exist uh, in this region in Indianapolis. Um, but I, I don't know. I guess only time will tell. I think that the uh, culinary incubator piece of that, where they're going to be bringing in chefs to, you know, kind of bring them in and out, is going to be interesting. I think that that's going to be a sort of fun piece that we don't really have yet here in this area. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it'll be whether it'll, you know, be another sort of regional attractor or not. I talked to uh, Steve Delaney some a couple of years ago. He works at CBRE and he specializes mm-hmm. in restaurants. Side fact, he and I went to grade school together. Okay. That's a side <laughs> thing. But he was telling me that he had visited the one in Dallas, Texas. I think that got the right city there. And he, what he told me is this is this is an amazing concept. And if it, if it does come through, which it looks like it is going to come through for Fishers, you still can't really imagine what a what a generator that's going to be. As people will come in, just okay. What kind of chef do you have this month right. or this quarter or whatever? Yeah, I think it's going to be something that's always new, right? Mm-hmm. Like every couple of weeks or couple of months, there's going to be a new chef in there. They're going to be serving something new. Um, so that'll be a interesting piece of that to see. You know what kind of um, visitors and those numbers, what those look like. Okay, here's my last question to okay. you. You, know, you when you came to IBJ, you could have had a lot of different bees. They move people around a little bit, especially <laughs> when you know you have a situation where Lindsay was going to the state house and you have other things going on. So you feel glad that you got this beat rather than maybe technology or real estate or a state house. What do you think of this beat? Yeah, so the technology beat was the position I had originally applied for. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was what they were marketing at the time, that the job was open. And then another reporter had said, hey, I'd really like to try my hand at that. So they switched the beats around and the North of 96 beat, which is what what ended up becoming available. Um, And at the time, you know, I was looking for something different. I had done government and education reporting, um, you know, new business in a community for the last four years. Um, So I was just, that's sort of what, you know, piqued my interest in the technology beat, but I also didn't know anything about technology, right? Like I had never reported on it extensively at all. So um, it was nice to get into something that I'm familiar with. And, um, you know, the North side in Hamilton County is just growing so quickly um, that it's completely different from anything I've done before. So yeah, it keeps me busy and it's exciting. Um, So yeah, I'm happy definitely that I'm here. (laughs) 
Well, it's good to have you here. Sam Quinn is with us today. She's the North of 96th reporter for the Indianapolis Business Journal. Thanks for, for joining me. Thank you. Thanks to Sam Quinn for taking some time out of her very busy schedule to appear on this podcast. You can find her work at ibj.com. And I would encourage everyone listening to subscribe to the Indianapolis Business Journal. Details on how to do that can be found at ibj.com. This is the Larry N. Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryNFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, a suburban community northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.